This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for January 10th, 2020. In this week's episode, Apple plans to use random serial numbers, a lawsuit around jailbreak software, Firefox issues updates, as does Microsoft for Windows 7, and a look back at security in 2019. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Hey, Josh, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm good. I was trying to find some clever introduction to open up the podcast, and I couldn't come with anything. So we're just going to go right into the news. We saw a story that came out a few days ago. Mac Rumors reports that Apple plans to switch to randomized serial numbers for future products starting in late 2020. We were just discussing why would they do this? Why does it matter? And there aren't a lot of articles about this explaining, but on the Mac Rumors forum, a lot of people were talking about uh, possibly preventing fraud, but I don't, how does the serial number prevent fraud? But some people are also talking about the fact that if you make a Hackintosh, which is a computer that you build from parts and install Mac OS on, you still need to have a Mac serial number to be able to make it work. And you can find serial numbers on the web, or you can use a serial number of a device maybe you used to have. I don't see what sort of benefit there would be to having randomized serial numbers. I and mean, why, why does it matter? Yeah, I, that's a really interesting question. I mean, obviously, Apple has some reason for this. But what MacRumors says is that there, this came from an internal memo shared with Apple authorized service providers. So, you know, those aren't people that Apple would necessarily feel the need to explain their reasoning to. Yeah. So, you know, I guess they probably didn't go into a lot of detail in this in this memo, but um, yeah, it's it's sort of odd. I mean, I don't know that it necessarily really matters all that much, but it is sort of strange that suddenly Apple would be switching to just, you know, pseudo random serial numbers instead of kind of sticking with traditional patterns like they've used for decades. Yeah, and and my thought is that this is somehow related to security or privacy or something. But I'm looking at the serial number on my iMac, and it looks pretty darn random, let me tell you. I'm not going to read it out, but it's a bunch of letters. There's one digit in it. It doesn't look like there's a pattern, right? Like some people have said that for certain models, you can tell where it was made and when it was made. Um, Those days are gone as far as I can tell. Yeah, it used to be certainly that uh, with older serial numbers, you could tell where it was manufactured and things like that. Yeah, I'm not so sure about recent serial numbers, though. They do tend to follow a pattern. So if you buy, say, you work for a company or something and you buy a whole bunch of a certain model of, uh, of Apple product, you are going to have serial numbers that are very close, very similar to each other. In, uh, in it, like, let's say you buy a box of iPads or something like that. They're all going to have very similar serial numbers. I, I know that Apple is using patterns right now. And um, so it's, it's, it sounds like they're just going to move away from that. And maybe with the whole fraud prevention thing, I'm a little foggy on exactly what is meant by that. But I think the idea 
may be that, you know, if you have a bunch of uh, Apple devices that all have very similar, similar serial numbers, you might be able to sort of guess at what another serial number might be in that range. Um, and what exactly you would do with that? I, I don't really know. Yeah. I don't understand. You're not going to get support for a device you don't have. Um, because in any case, either you bought it from Apple, it's already recorded with your name and Apple ID, or if not, you've got to register it. And if you're making up a serial number based on a pattern, but it's already been registered, um, it seems kind of strange because what I'm thinking is what you say, let's say you buy 20 iPads and they're sequential, maybe in whatever software you're using to configure them, you have to enter the serial number of each one. And if they're sequential, that means you can sort of copy and paste and manually enter them in each field. Is that how it works? I've managed devices like this before, and I, I don't remember ever having to really do anything with the serial number. I know that uh, you can, in a mobile device management system, you can look up devices by serial number and you know find out where that device is on your network and those kind of things. But that would mean you'd have to keep a list of who has which serial number, which maybe right. some people do. Right. Yeah. You'd, you'd have to have a, a database and inventory that, that uh, keeps track of all that. Okay. We don't have an answer about this one then. In other Apple-related news, again from Mac Rumors, a company called Corellium accuses Apple of using a lawsuit to crack down on jailbreaking. Apple is suing this company, Corellium, or as another article says, Apple is bullying a security company with a DMCA lawsuit. That's the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Now, that's the kind of lawsuit that you would bring against someone who's copied your content and put it on a website. Um, let's say they've uploaded a video to YouTube or they've copied uh, an article of yours and put it on another website. DMCA covers a lot of things. And when we first discussed this last week, I was like, well, I don't care jailbreaking. But you explained how it's really important for security researchers to be able to jailbreak devices. Right. The DMCA has been used for a lot of different purposes, like like you said. And, and one of the things that um, unfortunately comes up a lot is uh, the use of the DMCA by uh, a company that makes a particular product and they don't like how certain people are using that product. Um, this has happened with things as obscure as John Deere tractors, you know, um, where the company has, has sued people because they don't like what people are doing with their product. And, you know, it doesn't matter that you bought the product, that you own it. Um, they say, well, you're messing with our software. And so we don't authorize that. And therefore we're going to sue you. It's anyway, the DMCA has been used in cases like this to sort of bludgeon people or companies over the head. And when it comes to this particular topic of security research, it is really important that people who do this kind of security research can do things like jailbreaking. Jailbreaking um, is often thought of as just sort of a way to, um, you know, exploit your device, a flaw in the operating system on your device, on your, uh, you know, iPhone or iPad, as a way to open it up to enable you to install additional third-party software and and mods and tweaks that software you know, that's not available on the App Store, exactly, and stuff that Apple does not support, and um, so. There's the whole jailbreaking community, and one of the important aspects of, of jailbreaking is that it makes it much easier to, to sort of see what's going on behind the scenes 
on these Apple mobile devices. So does that mean that if you jailbreak a device, you can sort of access logs and and debug data and get verbose logging data that you couldn't get otherwise? Exactly, among other things. And uh, so researchers uh, who do really important work, um, actually, a lot of times they find security vulnerabilities through jailbreak through jailbroken devices and then they report those vulnerabilities to Apple so that everyone benefits that you know we can all get patches because of some vulnerability that somebody discovered with a jailbroken device so that's one of the reasons why this is so important to not attack people who are are using this sort of technology for legitimate purposes. Now, what Corellium was doing is a little different. Um, what their software does is it creates virtual iPhones in a web browser. So, And the purpose here is so that app developers and security researchers can tinker without actually needing a physical device. So you're not breaking into an iPhone. You're, you're breaking into the software. Yeah, they're they're saying, well, hang on, you shouldn't be allowed to do that because people need to buy our devices if they want to, uh, you know, to see how things are going to work on an iPhone or iPad. So, and you can't buy iOS on its own. You can't buy macOS. I mean, if you, if you have one Mac, you can download it and then copy the macOS installer to other Macs. And you can actually use macOS uh, in uh, virtualization software. Parallels Desktop and uh, VMware Fusion, you can load the macOS installer and create a virtualized version of the operating system. But you can't do that for iOS. Right. And Apple really only authorizes that if you are running that on a, a, a machine that Apple manufactured, right? right? So the whole thing is that Apple doesn't sell their operating systems. At Once upon a time, yeah, they did, but now oh, they're not. They, once upon it, a time, they were expensive. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but they don't do that anymore. Apple is all about hardware sales, really. Um, that's where they make their money. And so they need to sell you the hardware. And if you are, uh, you know, a somebody who is using Corellium software to virtualize an iPhone so you don't have to buy the hardware. Well, obviously there's a cost associated with Corellium. They're not, uh, as, to my knowledge, they're not giving their stuff away for free either. But, um, you know, you also have on the Mac side, you have Hackintoshing, you know, where you see you, you could be using an Apple operating system that's not running on Apple hardware and then, right. of course, Apple, how do they make money from you? Well, there's other ways that they can make money from you. But uh, basically, Apple doesn't like the idea of you using their free software that's designed only for their hardware on something else, whether it's... Well, that's their licensing conditions, and that's yeah. understandable. So yeah. j just from our never played a lawyer on TV or anything perspective, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with this. Neither you nor I have any way of knowing who's got the better argument here. Well, yeah, and there are totally legitimate arguments on both sides of this. Um, however, I, I mean, from my you know security researcher perspective, um, I do think it is very important the the work that some people are doing with software like Corellium, and um, you know, I, I really hate to see you know, Apple lawyers get involved and, and, you know, attack these, these systems that there's, by the way, there's much more to this story. Um, there's a really good article on iFixit as well as um, the Mac rumors article that we talked about. 
Um, there's, there's a lot more to this. There's a lot more behind the scenes stuff. So if this sounds interesting to you, there's much more you can read about it. Okay. We've got some security vulnerabilities quickly. Um, Firefox 72.01 and Firefox ESR 68.4.1. What's ESR? Uh, ESR is the extended support release, I think is what it stands for. Um, These are basically versions of Firefox that don't add new features, but instead stick with an older code base and older, you know, set of features so that uh, basically system administrators, people who send out browsers to all of their users um, will get a stable browser that doesn't just add a bunch of new junk. So this is kind of like for people who run Windows 7. <laughs> well, okay. That was a segue. Go on. <laughs> well, hang on, hang on. So so Firefox, yes, there basically what people need to know, there's a critical vulnerability, make sure you're updating your Firefox. Okay. So yeah. now now let's talk about Windows 7. Yeah, Windows <laughs> 7 Oh boy. Okay. Windows 7 has been around for for quite a while. Um I, I'm trying to think what year it actually came out. I want to say it was around like 2007 or eight. Yeah, I, I'd have to look it up, years. but, but it's been, yeah, it's been around for more than 10 years. That's a long time for any operating system. Um, and 2009. Yeah. Okay. 2009. Yeah. So 10 years. Yeah. 10, 10 years is, uh, is a long time. It's a long time for, for an operating system. And, um, you know, of course, Windows XP got supported much longer than that, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> In part because Vladimir Putin still uses it, as we mentioned on a recent episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so Windows 7. So here, here's the thing about this. Why are we talking about this on a Mac podcast? Well, I think the important thing for people to know is hey, you know, a lot of people are still using Windows in, uh, you know, boot camp. Uh, you might have, have your Mac set up so that you can reboot it and uh, and run Windows directly on the hardware. That's what uh, Apple's boot camp does for you. And that's... Or you still... might run it in a virtual machine, as we were talking about before. Exactly, right. Uh, virtual machines are are used by a variety of people for a variety of different things. And, and sometimes you don't want to reboot your whole machine just to run a Windows app. And so that's what virtual machines are for. But uh, your base operating system needs to be a secure version of it. And the thing with Windows 7 is because it's been around so long and because there have been many newer versions of Windows that have come out since then, uh, Microsoft is pulling the plug on Windows 7 security updates. And the drop dead date is Tuesday, January 14th. So presumably Microsoft will release its final patches well, quote unquote, final, you know, put some air quotes around there. <laughs> final versions of Windows 7 patches. What we know is that more than likely, eventually, there will be some major vulnerability that that Microsoft is going to have to go back and patch in older versions of Windows, even the ones that they say they're not supporting anymore. We've even seen just recently, still, Microsoft occasionally will release a patch for Windows XP systems if there is something that is so severe and you know and there's still systems out there sadly that are running windows xp uh or vista which is also uh you know has been dead for years now and now windows 7 is going to be next up and there's still by the way 
a pretty significant percentage of people still using Windows 7. So um, you may be running it in your virtual machine. Make sure that you upgrade to Windows 10 if you don't have it already. Um, there, if you can look this up out there, there, uh, technically the window has already passed for free upgrades to windows 10, but there are ways that you can actually still upgrade for free. So if, if you research that, you can, you can hey, find I'll answers. I'll give you a that. tip. <laughs> you can buy a license for five bucks on Amazon. I don't know if this is totally legal, but I, I needed a... I needed a windows 10 in, in my virtual machine. And I went on Amazon. There's all these people who sell them. For five or six bucks. I don't really? know how it works. I think what they do is they get a whole package of OEM licenses and they split yeah, them up. So OEM probably. means that you're you're putting computers together. Let's say you're in a company and you buy a thousand seats of Windows 10 and they cost you a buck each. Um, yeah. It's probably not entirely legal, but Amazon sells them. So if you need one, <laughs> check it out. And, and by the way, if you're using Windows on your Mac, you can also get Intego's dual protection add-on for Windows antivirus uh, as well as protecting your Mac side from viruses and malware. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the year in Apple security for 2019. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac user center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. And then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST19 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. So before we get to the year in Apple security, one last thing we wanted to mention, Python is dead. Long live the new Python. <laughs> right. Python is uh, basically a, a programming language that has been built into Macs for years. And it's mostly used by system administrator types. Uh, you know, they want to remotely control Macs. And so they'll write a script and they can push this out to all the Macs in their fleet. Um, and starting with Mac OS Catalina, um, Apple is including a newer version of Python. Finally, there's been Python three available for years, but Apple has not been including it with the operating system. And Kirk, just before the show, you were just checking this. Um, Apple even still today includes Python 2.7, this now defunct version of Python that's no longer getting patched as of January 1st. They still include that as the default Python version in, uh, in Catalina. Right. So if a script is calling Python with the name Python, 
that's what's going to run. It has to call Python 3 without a space in order to be able to use the new Python. Right. So if you are using scripts, you have to have to go through all your scripts and do a find replace for Python and Python 3. Well, yeah. Assuming and, and they'll even work. Well, right, exactly. And they did change the syntax. So getting through this quickly, here, here's the thing to know. Um, basically, Apple has been deliberately choosing for more than a decade to include an old version of Python that they, they've known for a few years is no longer the recent most recent version. They're still including that with every Mac OS. Starting with the next version of Mac OS after Catalina, Apple basically has implied, uh, more or less stated, that they're going to completely wipe out Python. They're not going to include it with the operating system anymore, which is totally fine. But for now, you've got all these Macs, basically literally every Mac that's still getting security updates from Apple is no longer going to get security updates for Python um, unless Apple decides it's going to release those patches, basically develop and release those patches specifically for Python 2.7 for Mac OS. So they they're kind of put themselves in a weird situation here. And it'll be interesting to see once there are vulnerabilities discovered uh, in Python, uh, w- w- whether you know Apple chooses to continue patching it or what they, what they do about this. Um, it's not something that should generally be a big deal because it shouldn't be too uh, f- much of a problem from like a remote exploitability perspective. This is not a vulnerability in a browser. So, uh, and malware that already gets on your system, well, you've already got a malware infection. So if it's exploiting Python, you know, you have other problems too. Okay. Um, link in the show notes for more information. So it's the new year and it's time to look back in the old year. This is a tried and true journalistic tradition to make a summary of the previous year. We could have even done the previous decade, although to be pedantic, the decade doesn't end until the end of 2020. <laughs> I kind of like when the decade does end with the nine year instead of the zero year. But Well, to be even more pedantic, technically a decade can can be any set of 10 years. No, it's true. It's true. Okay. So um, we've got an article on the Intego Mac security blog about the year in Apple security, and it's pretty much an overview of what happened without even getting into specifics, Josh. You've been working in this field for a long time, as I have. Um, How would you rate, let's say on a scale of one to 10, security issues affecting Apple products in 2019, 10 being extremely severe and zero being absolutely none. So it's not going to be zero. That's for sure. Oh boy. Um, I mean, we had some pretty significant things. I, I mean, I guess if I had to arbitrarily come up with a number, maybe, uh, maybe a seven or an eight, um, because they're, well, because we've continued to see vulnerabilities stemming from the specter and meltdown processor vulnerabilities that first kind of came to light at the beginning of 2018. Um, and we still see, those types of hardware vulnerabilities that are are affecting Apple products here, you know, in over the past year. I think it's a question of breadth versus depth. So you might have a thousand vulnerabilities, but that none of them have had any serious effects. You may only have five that have very serious effects. You know, I'm thinking back to like the flashback malware. Is that about 10 years ago? Um, fake flash player installers creating botnets on Macs. That was quite severe. It didn't necessarily affect millions of Mac users, but the effect itself was quite important. And while we are seeing more things going on this year, I I don't know that they're actually having that sort of deep impact, are they? 
Well, that's a fair point. I mean, again, getting back to those processor vulnerabilities that um, are, from a certain perspective, very severe, um, are they actually being exploited in the wild? Well, not really, not that we know of. So, And this is often the case with vulnerabilities uh, yeah. with hardware or software, that researchers find them and protect against them, but no one really does anything because maybe it's too hard to just actually trigger them to actually get into computers and, and do them. I'll link in the show notes to an episode of the podcast where we talked about Spectre and Meltdown, where you gave a, a really good overview of what the problem is, because it is sort of high level stuff. It's not, you know, software comes in, steals your files. It's not that simple. It's really quite complex, but it was a busy year for malware. Uh, Intego discovered a lot of malware. Other security companies discovered malware. In this article, I linked to other articles and podcast episodes where we've talked about malware. I kind of feel that this is getting to be the norm. And, you know, I just keep thinking of those people, Max, don't get viruses. And it's like every year we have the same thing where there's more malware. No, it's technically not a virus, but, you know, let's not be pedantic about that one. I think there was quite a, a bit of malware this year. Interestingly, one was a fake Flash Player installer, but does anyone use Flash Player anymore? Uh, yeah, in fact, a lot. Uh, well, <laughs> first of all, let me answer that question. Um, some people kind of, yeah, still use Flash. Um, they probably shouldn't be anymore because I believe this is the last year that Adobe is going to be releasing any kind of security patches for Flash. So, yeah, some people use it, but nobody really should be using it anymore. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> no, certainly nobody should be installing it. As we've mentioned before, if you really have to use a website that uses Flash, first of all, contact the people who run the website and tell them, please <laughs> don't do this anymore. Find some other solution because, you know, Flash is dead. Um, but number two, uh, if you really, really have to use that site, uh, use Google Chrome, because it's got a version of Flash built in, at least until Flash officially hits its end of life this year. There will still be websites that say you need Flash Player yeah. to view this site for, well, for the next decade. Well, and that's the thing is like, regardless of whether you actually need to download and install Flash, people have been doing that for years. And so malware still knows that that's an effective way to trick people into installing something, you know? Yep. Um, and so we're still going to see that. In fact, a lot of malware is still masquerading as a Flash Player installer. So um, we're going to continue seeing that, I'm sure, for uh, at least another year or two before they move on to something else. One thing that we're seeing a lot more of in the past few years, and, and I'm thinking back to you know when I started working in, in computer security, we didn't hear much about data breaches back then. And we've been hearing about them more and more. We talk about them on the podcast very often. Um, just to mention one of them that was that had the clever name of collection number one had 2.7 billion records, including 1.2 billion unique email address and password combinations and much more. And data breaches are, they're not the same. They're not as serious as malware, but it's very serious. If someone gets into your accounts, um, malware often tries to get your username and password. Um, but it's even easier if there's a data breach that companies with lack security, um, just let this stuff leak. And so it's not even a question of whether you have antivirus software on your Mac or not. 
Right. Yeah. Data breaches are, are really kind of a big problem. Uh, I would argue that in some cases that this can even be worse than getting a malware infection on your machine. You've got, especially for people who reuse passwords or have done so in the past, um, you could run into a really big problem because now somebody who's got your information, you know, maybe unbeknownst to you even, um, now they can use that same username and password to try to log into a whole bunch of other sites and see where else you might have used that password. And again, they're not, they don't even have to be targeting you because this is all stuff that can be done with automated you know, uh, software that the bad guys like to use. You can use Intego Virus Barrier or something like that to find if there's malware on your Mac and you'll get rid of it, but you won't have any idea that this information of yours is out there and that someone is trying to get into your accounts. So the importance of always using secure passwords, never reusing passwords. We say this pretty much every other episode, don't we? Pretty much. (laughs) Facebook, lots of data breaches with Facebook. I put that as a separate category in the article. I didn't link to any specific data breaches, but we just hear them more and more, particularly where they share data with advertisers. Now, that's not quite the same because they don't have a, a username and password that they're sharing. It's more data about you. This is more of a privacy issue. As our listeners know, we we also mentioned Facebook probably about every other episode too. Um, yep. th- there's been so much really over the past year, um, and I think probably the best <laughs> source of information on that uh, you can look through our, our past episodes um, and uh, and see that yeah, it's come up a lot. Um, there's a lot of risks to privacy. Uh, basically, if you don't need to be on Facebook, maybe consider deleting your account. If if you really feel like that's the only way that you can connect with certain people or groups, then yeah, maybe keep your account, but just limit the amount of data, amount of information that you share about yourself, and uh, and and the amount that other people can see about you, um, can see into your profile or things you post and things like that. For a long time, so I've mentioned previously that I have a Facebook account and I really only use it for groups. Um, I do keep in touch with a few friends, but it's mostly groups. There's a group about cats. There's a group about um, a musical instrument I play. There's a group um, about photography, things like that. I, For a long time, I wasn't getting any ads on Facebook. And recently, I started getting ads again. Now, I never post anything personally anymore. If you click the little three-dot menu next to an ad you can hide the ad and they'll ask you why. And one of the the options to click on why you want to hide it, it says knows too much. Hmm. What's that about? The ad knows too much about me. And then you can click a link um, to see why you've been targeted. And so I'm going to click an ad right now on Facebook, hide ad. um, And it says, so you could choose to say it's repetitive, irrelevant, too personal, sensitive topic, already purchased or knows too much. I'm going to click knows too much. Then why did I see this ad? Um, this company is trying to reach people on Facebook. They think are interested in WordPress, trying to reach people ages 18 and older. Sometimes it's because of your location, but some of them say this company has tried to find friends of people who are interested in, and mm. that's when it gets creepy. 
Yeah. Well, it, the the friends of is one of the things about Facebook that um it, that I, I agree it it gets it can get creepy. But the other thing, well, this is a whole other topic that we can discuss another time. But <laughs> but one of the things about the the whole friends of thing on Facebook is that guess what? So, there are a lot of fake profiles on Facebook. If someone wants to find out about you or or see the private things you're posting. A lot of times people will create like these shadow accounts that look like a friend of yours. And so you'll think, oh, that's funny. I thought I'd already added them as a friend. And but you go ahead and accept it because, you know, they're your friend. And uh, well, they're not really your friend. They're just they created a profile to look like your friend. Yeah. If you get a friend request from someone and you think you're already friends, do a search on Facebook to see if you're already friends. I have seen that a number of times. Yeah. And, and to be fair, sometimes this does legitimately happen where somebody gets locked out of their Facebook account. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're not sure, you know, text that person, talk to them in some way other than Facebook and say, Hey, did you just send me a friend request? Okay. Just wanted to make sure it was legitimate, you know? Um, but the thing is, when you have things shared with friends of friends, your friends may have also been deceived in the same way and have, yep. you know, uh, people targeting them. And now those uh, you can see how this can can easily spread out. OK, last point. I don't think a year ago we were talking too much about Internet of Things issues. Um, lately, ring doorbells have come up every couple of episodes. So this is a new category of risk. Risk in part because there have been some breaches of data with some of these companies, uh, Wise that we mentioned last week, a camera company, but also risk because these are sort of entry points into your home network. And if someone can get through them, they can potentially get further into your network. Right. Yeah. I, IoT, Internet of Things is not brand new, but um, you know we, we've been kind of talking about it for a couple of years, but uh, there's we're getting to a point where there's so many useful things that you can set up on your home network and that the temptation is always growing and it's it's always there for adding something well, it's like reaching this. critical mass that it's yeah. easy to use and as we mentioned last week talking about home kit it's easy to use um there are useful devices i think in 2020 we're going to see a lot more about security and internet of things okay time to go until next week stay secure josh all right stay secure Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.